Welcome, everybody, to the first episode of Has Beans Hoops with Anstey and Wurlo. I'm your host, Chris Anstey. Mark Worthington, welcome. Thanks for having me, big fella. This has been many years in the making of us sitting down, talking, having opinions like we do. And uh, we've come in on a very, very interesting day to have our first opinion. Well, well we have. It's, we woke up to, uh, well, news of my old teammate, Steve Nash has been fired by the Brooklyn Nets now. I love Steve. I'm on record as saying he's one of the greatest teammates I've ever had. Uh, as a rookie coach, he walked into a team that was full of talent and was brought in to do a job. And, you know, there's not many places Kyrie Irving goes that don't implode. Uh, Kevin Durant wanted out in the offseason. So clearly, Nashi wasn't the right fit and they've made their move early in the third season. But you know what? One thing I do need to mention is that as a rookie head coach, given he had a lot of talent, but he's won 62% of the games he's coached as an NBA coach, which is, tell you what, that's better than most coaches in NBA history. But hey, the writing was on the wall. It's happened. And that uh, Jack Vaughan will coach uh, the next game, but it looks like it's going to be Udoka. Um, Ex-Boston coach is going to come in and take the reins. Well, it was, uh, I think it was Kyra, it was Kevin that came in and just said, well, it's either myself or it's Sean Marks and Steve Nash that need to go. And they did the little peace pipe and the kumbaya and was able to hold it together for, what, five games? And then Steve well, They got to seven. Oh, seven, geez. Um, a couple of things I want to point out on this one. Um, Kenny Atkinson... Uh, was the coach prior to Steve and Kenny had done a great job of building up this culture. Um, Mitch Creek was part of the, the, he was a two-way player during this point, but you could see that the the bench was enthusiastic and they played hard and they didn't quite have the names, but they were, they were a fun team to watch. They sell their soul to get Kevin Durant in to, to play with Kyrie. And then a year later, Midway during the season, they fire Kenny Atkinson and bring in Steve Nash. Now, it's not a player. Uh, it's the players that are running the asylum there. Let's be totally honest. Uh, I feel bad for Sean Marks. I feel really bad for Steve Nash. I feel bad for the ownership group that have to choose between quality people versus kids, essentially. Spoiled brats. And that's what... Uh, KD and Kyrie have shown. You've thrown in the saga of Ben Simmons, uh, which I think has been blown out of proportion as well, but it's just made a, a really messy situation in Brooklyn. The other point I want to bring up, and this is maybe something flying very close to the sun in our first episode, but <laughs> we've, been, we've been in a similar situation um, with you as a head coach being fired very early after one game in the NBL to a can after we lost to a Cairns Taipans team that uh, lost the grand final on a on a made on a on a buzzer beater to win the grand final to New Zealand. So tell me, you've got Steve Nash as a friend, you've got your coach's hat as Chris Anstey. What does this all sort of say to you? Uh, how this has all played out? I guess it says to me that in my situation. I went into every off-season meeting with the ownership and management understanding that the improvement of the team would come as much from me as the head coach as it would from the playing group. And 
Yeah, yeah, I look at Steve's record. They they lost four three to a Milwaukee Bucks team in the conference semifinals his first year. So arguably they get through that game, and who knows what happens from there. And and that's yeah. when you know Kevin Durant, if he had one size, the, the troll on the three point line, and and, yeah. and the history of this changes, right? Um, you know, my, the second year I coached the Melbourne Tigers, we lost in three games for the Adelaide 36ers and game three was one game too many for us we were really banged up but I thought you know the, the Tigers hadn't been in the playoffs for, for four or five seasons before I got there and we missed out by a free throw the first year we made the semi-finals and took it to game three the second year I, I thought we were heading in the right direction I thought we had a lot of buy-in from the players but I suppose when you start adding voices whether they're from management ownership within the playing group themselves those voices get louder and louder and, and, and something has to change. And if there's any self-doubt or if there's doubt within the organisation or, or if there's doubt within management, then, you know, as I'm, you know, I was gone after a day or after a game. That that loss, if you remember, we, we lost Steve Dennis on the eve of the season, who in my mind would have been an absolute candidate for the most valuable player. I loved him. He's the one player perhaps I, I wish that I had more time throughout my entire coaching career with. Um, I just thought he was special. And what he was, what he did that preseason, we could have done anything. But look, sport needs immediate results. Um, what United want was want, wanted was an experienced coach. Um, it's hard to teach experience. I think that's the thing with Steve when you've got the level of talent that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving have and their stubbornness and their unwillingness to listen to a rookie coach. Ironically, it was Durant that wanted Steve to come in in the first place. Um, look, it's a no-win situation. What I do know about the Brooklyn Nets, having spoken to some people close to it, is that the roster from four down to 18 is in a great place. You mentioned Kenny Atkinson, I agree. Kenny got it to a, a fantastic place. And I think Steve's maintained that with players four through 16, 17, 18. What they haven't been able to get right are players one, two, and three. And ultimately, that was what led to the firing. So, yeah, he's a little bit close to home, but um, he's a hell of a person. Like I mentioned he's one of the better teammates I've had. And I'm actually heading over to, to watch the Brooklyn Nets play on the, uh, on the 8th of November. So, it'll be an interesting watch. Now, um, Speaking of the NBA, and we'll get off the nets unless you've got anything to add to that word, though. But, um, I mean, actually, let's have you add a little bit. Tell us about your experience. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned we had a similar experience with Hawk. Well, I guess it was, um, it was tough as a player. Um, you do pre season with a coach and with a system and all that. Um, and, and full disclosure, and it's no secret that you were one of my mates as well. And so um, when it all happened after the first game, uh, I don't think at the time we understood how good the Cairns Taipans were going to be that season, A. Eh? Uh, and like I said, they, they ended up losing on a buzzer in the grand final series that season. They had a, a team with Scotty Wilberkin and Aaron Fern was a fantastic defensive coach and we were just trying to put all the pieces of our puzzle together at that stage. Um, but after one game, it, 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 it hurt. It, it sucked. Um, I guess uh, it was the following days 
like the world kept on moving in basketball terms as, you know, they announced DMAC as your replacement. Uh, everything went back to, to normal. The thing that bothered me, not bothered me, but uh, hurt is uh, you were in a bit of radio silence for the next three or four days. I, I tried reaching out to you a couple of times and it, I could only imagine how much your phone was getting blown up. And can I, can I, can I just jump about, in? At- I, I know that we've spoken about this since, uh, but for those three or four days when you've got a mate that's hurt and, you know, being fired uh, and as a player you feel responsible for that as well, for the performance of that one game, uh, that was the most difficult thing to to sort of let go in in for the rest of that season, really. I'm, I'm not I'm not sure that the uh, that the Nets would have that sense of responsibility from the top players in that group. But I must say that before we move on, that I <laughs> I did get a little bit of credit because I did stay quiet, and there was a lot of me that wanted to to say some things early, and I've been known to you know talk out a little bit when I was emotional, and I thought. I'm going to get away. I had a mate up in the Whit Sundays on a boat, actually. And I got up there the morning after I got fired and I thought I'll stay up here for a few days. I had a couple of beers before lunchtime and I went scuba diving or snorkeling with my phone in my pocket. So (laughs) I didn't have a phone for four or five days. So there were a lot of times where I felt like putting something on social or making a call or I probably would have answered one, but probably worked out better for everyone that I, I just stayed quiet and, you know, let the club and let you boys get on with, with what you needed to do. But let, let's get off there. We'll have plenty drowning, of time. Drowning, <laughs> drowning your sorrows and drowning your phone. Two smart things to do. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, have, we'll have plenty of time to tell some stories and reminisce in, in coming weeks. But, hey, let, let's touch on the NBA. We don't want this to go too long. Um, Milwaukee, they're, they're the only undefeated team, it speaks to Giannis. They're doing it without Chris Middleton. The league's in an incredible place. It's such an exciting league. You know, I think there are fans of probably 15 or 20 teams who think they're a genuine chance to advance into the playoffs. But what I want to talk to you about, so Victor Wembanyama may very well be the most highly touted future number one draft pick in the, in the past two decades, maybe since LeBron. Now, the assumption with a lot of people were that was that they'd have teams racing for the bottom. They'd be tanking from day one. Now, Utah and San Antonio are clearly very bad at tanking. Utah, either that or Danny Ainge is a, a, a genius because he's gone and got rid of his most talented players. He's accumulated a war chest full of draft picks and they're six and two. And they're beating good teams. San Antonio are the same. They're five and two and winning with the type of basketball that the Nets would be playing. Team basketball, a lot of contributors. Talk to me about Utah and the Spurs, maybe, and whether or not they should be positioning themselves to run at a at the highest possible draft draft given that you know when Banyama is likely generational. First off. Victor is unbelievable, and you said he is the most talented person since LeBron, easily the most talented number one draft pick we're going to see since LeBron. Uh, His skill set is 
you haven't seen it before. Um, uh, I've never seen his teammate, Po Yufat, uh, ever have a greater last name in all of professional sports either. <laughs> um, but I think we sort of had a little bit of a glimpse of what it was going to look like when they had the two exhibition games versus G League night. Um, and, and you could see from his shot-making ability uh, to his ability to put the ball on the floor to his shot-blocking ability, um, the only thing that people will say is he needs to put on a bit of muscle and a bit of mass. Yes, that's true. He's 18 um, years old. He's 18 years old. He's he is going to grow into his body eventually. He'll go into a, a an NBA system that will put on bulk to him. Um, but he is the definition of a unicorn when it comes to to what the projected basketball ceiling for him is. Someone uh, someone compared him to a combination of Kevin Durant and Rudy Gobert. It's not a bad comparison. Well. And then we saw the photo of him standing next to Rudy Gobert and towering over him. Right. Um, so uh, uh, I think what the Jazz and what the Spurs have done so far, uh, look, they've got they've got a tradition. I, I think Utah has got a winning culture and they've had a winning culture and they've moved these pieces out, but that that culture pieces still remain there. We know that Coach Pop is a fantastic coach. Uh, you can almost guarantee that he's not there to to tank, but he's not going to win an NBA uh, NBA championship with that roster either. Uh, the funniest thing in all of this is the Lakers, who <laughs> look like they're tanking the most at the moment, but if they were to get the number one pick, lose it to New Orleans for the Anthony Davis draft <laughs> pick all those years ago as well. Um, I think this will play itself out. Uh, let, let's be totally honest here. Some of the teams that are struggling, the Miami Heat at two and five, the Lakers uh, and whatnot, they'll, they'll find their way throughout the season and get better. And, and these other teams will, will shuffle back a little bit. Uh, but... I would not be surprised if we see a huge amount of tanking at the back end of the season. I, I, I agree. They're just way too special. You, you look at Houston, Orlando, Detroit, they tank better. Their young kids are playing well. We see glimpses of Cade Cunningham. We see you know, our old NBL mate, Jamal Mosley, getting a lot out of the young talent down there in Orlando, but they've still only won one or two games. And we always talk when we're trying to win championships about wins counting for the same at the start of the year as they do at the end. I think that's the same in reverse here, that they might be too far ahead of some of these teams already. Then they might not go on a four or five game win streak, but we'll see. Hey, you mentioned how many, how many wins, how many wins do you reckon the the base ceiling should be? Less than 20. Should aim for? Less than Less 20. Less than 20. I, I agree. So you'd be starting off five or two, right. six and two. Spot on. You, you, need, yeah. you need to be looking at the worst record in NBA history to get the best chance of getting Wen Banyama. Yep, I agree. Um, you mentioned the Lakers. They'll make a trade. We, we know it'll happen. We're not sure what. I want to talk about the team that's got their locker room down the other end of the corridor and talk about Kawhi Leonard. Now, the Clippers have got arguably the deepest roster in the NBA. They'll continue to win games with or without him. 
there's so much positive commentary around how much of a winner Kawhi is and what he did at Toronto, what he did at the Spurs. But he can't get on the court. Now, no one knows exactly what his injury is. I know he's got his own medical team around him. I ask you this. Imagine for one second that Kawhi Leonard was commentated about like Ben Simmons has been. And the second part of that is how long until he should be? Because he's making himself unavailable to a team in the championship window based on the advice of his own medical staff. There's a lot of money being paid to someone to sit on the sidelines. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I I read a little bit about Kawhi yesterday and his frustrations of, you know, sitting out for the best part of a year and a half uh, with with an ACL injury um, and then being excited to get back on the court and then not being able to play a game and now not travelling on this current road trip. And um, I can't help but think, like obviously he's in terrific shape, but you can tell that he's put on mass again and he looks a bigger, stronger uh, choir than what we've seen previously. Now, you would know, I know, uh, with knee injuries, the more weight that you carry the harder it is. And I just feel like that extra mass is actually hurting him. Um, We saw players like Tim Duncan at the end of his career get lighter. The longer he played, he got lighter just so he could get up and down the court. And I'm wondering, had Kawhi stayed in San Antonio and still had Pop as his coach, if that would be the message of, I love that you're in shape still, but you're in the wrong type of shape for the part of your career that you're in. Uh, we need you to slim down. And, and I, I just can't help but think that that extra mass is actually hurting him and uh, not helping him. I, I, so, I, guess, yeah. I guess the difference is at least he's out on the front foot talking about it a little bit, which I think is all we wanted from Ben as he went through to understand what his back issue really was. Uh, and if you, if you watch Ben run nowadays closely you can see that he's still in a level of discomfort he's he's still not right the way that he runs up and down the court compared to what he was in philadelphia um i think that because Kawhi is a championship winner and because Kawhi has always been quiet in the media and hasn't you know really well, he hasn't ever said anything outrageous or anything like that. Um, he's almost getting a, a free pass. Oh, Kawhi's been Kawhi. How long does it last, though? But, Ben, well, I reckon I reckon he'll just get away with it. Right. I honestly think he'll just get away with it. Whereas for Ben, obviously, he's been with the Kardashians. He's done, you know, <laughs> all this. Um He's an easier target to be able to say, oh, Kawhi's been Kawhi and it'd be great to have him on the court, but, uh, you know, he's not going to talk to us anyway. What's Ben doing? Bang. Ben's like, oh, I've I've seen videos of people just blatantly calling him shit and whatnot. I'm like, the guy had 9-8-9 in a game. Not terrible numbers. 
We, we, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going, we're going to touch on Ben and all of the Aussies in the NBA next episode. Because I agree, I think Ben's been better than advertised. He's making his way back, but I want to get into the NBL. Hey, I'm Melbourne based, so I'm going to start with United. They've they've copped a lot of criticism. They finally got Shaley back, and it's almost fixed everything. A lot of talk around them moving the import. Uh, I'm sure Jordan Caroline will be looking for another job very soon. Uh, Ariel Huck Porty out. They're starting centre for the, for the season. Hurts, but I think we're really beginning to understand the value of Shaley. And again, I'm going to go back to one of my experiences years ago. I, I sat on the sidelines when Nate Tomlinson facilitated Chris Golding having 50 points in a game and his entire breakout season and I just think that's what Shaley is to every one of these talented players on United United's roster. And now that he's back, I think we see a much better version of, of Melbourne, whether or not Caroline remains or they replace him at their first at their first possible chance. Oh, you can say Nate Thomason got him 50, I reckon, as the person setting screens that probably helped him. But um <laughs> uh but you're right, Shaley just bought not only the facilitation side of things, but his defense on Bryce Cotton was just unbelievable. That's just a next level defender that steps onto the court and changes the energy of what United was defensively. Uh, because then we saw Rajon Tucker get more involved defensively, take a few more charges. Uh, we saw uh, Isaac Humphreys protecting the rim. I think he became the the youngest player to uh, how many blocks in the 40-minute era. Uh, I just like that defensive intensity that changed with it. Now, I was in Darwin when Pakpoti tore his Achilles. Um, It's an eerie sound. It's an eerie feeling when you know someone's done uh, an injury to that magnitude, and we wish him all the best because he was – really looking to make his way into the lottery this year as a draft pick. Um, obviously, this is a setback, but we, we wish him all the best in, in returning. Now, what does it mean for their roster going forward? Obviously, it's been very public about Jordan Caroline stepping out. I would not be surprised to see the return of JLA. There we go. Melbourne United Colours. Um what is happening in China at the moment is they're playing in the bubble, essentially. They're back, you know, a couple of years ago in, in our league where they're playing in a bubble. Uh, really hard for someone who has a family, really hard for someone who's playing overseas. Uh, I have no doubt that JLA is making some great money over there, but I, I reckon it would almost be... Uh, a conversation between Dean, a conversation between JLA's management, uh, Melbourne United, of what do we need to do to bring you home? Um, I think that would be a really good upgrade for United and then changes not only what they're capable of doing on the offensive end because uh, Isaac Humphreys is not the versatility that JLA was. And and kudos to Isaac. I think he's had a really nice build into the season so far. Um, and he had a great weekend last weekend. But uh, JLA is just a different level of athlete that United could really use. 
agree 100%. And just another little sneaky one, I, I think you've seen Alex Tui play for the Boomers now. He, he's done a great job, a young kid up at the COE. I know the NBL wants him as a next star next year, but there, there may even be some inclination that he finds his way onto an NBL roster that can afford an extra player and you know, that may very well be United as well. It may be the Phoenix, but expect to see Alex Tui in the NBL. They've got some big colleges chasing after him, but that next star, uh, if it's not this year, next year, I think you'll find he's the top of their list. And it'd be remiss of me not to say, but XRM has proven a lot of people wrong. He's and been outstanding to start the season. He was almost their throwing in Correct. He went from he could only score and what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, he's been helping on the board, he's been facilitating more. You'd have to put him in a top two conversation of MVP right now uh, of of the NBL season. Him and Xavier Cooks have been the top two players of the league so far this year. Um, And you've got to give credit to him. Uh, When it first happened, I wasn't sure that he was the right signing for him. Uh, but having Shay Ely back now, uh, I think he was the absolute right signing uh, for him. And uh, he keeps proving people wrong. Now, speaking of proving people wrong, Corey Williams, um, he's gone on record, and I could only laugh, as saying that the Adelaide 36ers import trio is the greatest trio in NBL history. Did you say greatest trio or was it the greatest import trio? He said trio. Import trio. Uh, look, I'm gonna, I'll start here. They may not even be the best import trio in the NBL. I think it's debatable. And the very first team I looked at now that they're getting back is the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. Williams, Brown and Cal. Um, and I've just done the numbers quickly. So Adelaide's import trio... 47 points a game as opposed to the, the the Phoenix is 36. So they've got them by 11 points. Phoenix's imports out-rebound them by two and out-assist them by eight. That more than covers that 11-point differential. And the Phoenix are winning. I mean, we I don't, I don't know. You'd probably call the New Zealand – take this one over because I just – I could only laugh and I, I don't even feel it needs – too much conversation. I think, disprove it. I think. I think. I think. On paper, <clears throat> with the credentials of Adelaide's three, yes, they're, they're the best three credentialed players. Um, I'll go historically instead of current. Um, Jalen Adams, Darrell Martin, Ian Clark, three pretty solid imports. Uh, but you've dug, you've, you've dug into the history books. You've gone back a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, prior to that, I'd say Machado, Oliver, DJ Newbel. That year that they made the run with Mike Kelly as head coach, uh, that was a really impressive trio as well. Um, that performed night in and night out. So, yeah. And then if you want to go historically, um, I mean. You probably played with two pretty decent players at a time, I reckon. I played with D-Mac and uh, Dave Thomas. I thought they were incredible. Um, 
But look, it's I, I, I think, that, and we'll wrap. I mean, it's, it's it's conversation. Let's let's let's. No, look, get, get, get on into going conversation out there. It's got people like us fighting. But uh, look, we'll we'll leave that part there. But um, I'm going to come back to you with the most valuable player thoughts early on in next episode in the next episode as well. But hey, we want to do this every week. Well, though, we, we've finally got one on air. We, we've got it done. So we've got a few things coming up. You're heading up to the Gold Coast and playing for the team that I suppose has given us the inspiration for the name of this podcast. There has been that we'll, we'll dig into them, but you'll be up on the Gold Coast and you'll have plenty to speak about and you'll be around some great ex-NBL, well, has-beens. I'll be in the United States and I'll be around the Knicks, I'll be around the Mavs, so I'll be recording our next one from, from New York City, so hopefully I'll have a little bit as well, but... We will do this every week. Thanks for getting it off the ground. Uh, thanks to Jed out the back. Thanks to anyone who got around to listening to this. Uh, check us out week by week. I promise we'll get better and better. Where are they? Thank you. <laughs> thanks, mate. Appreciate it. And uh, look forward to doing this weekly with you. It'll be great. Catch you next week. <laughs>